0: I am an uncommon church builder. I am leading second. Hey everyone, what's up? I'm Brandon Stewart and welcome to the leading second podcast where we're on a mission to raise up uncommon church builders and be the kind of leaders that our pastors would absolutely kill. To have on the team. All right, this episode today is for all of us creatives. If you lead creatively in your church or in any capacity, today's episode is dedicated to you. And yes, I am putting myself in the category of a creative because when I think about creatives, I don't just think about musicians or graphic designers or, um, Photographers, there are so many forms of creative leadership uh, that come out, and I think are coming out in young leaders today. And I believe that God has designed you uh, uniquely with a voice and a creative expression that He wants to use through you to build His church. So, if you consider yourself a creative, I put this episode together for you today, and I believe it's going to help you. Before we get into our the main part of our interview, uh, every episode we take a question from a podcast listener uh, who is also part of the Leading Second Forum on Facebook. So I recently received a, a question on a bit of a different lane than what we've heard from recently, so let's check out this question.
1: And this is Debbie Harris from Columbus, Ohio. I had a question for you today. How do you sharpen your preaching gift to remain effective and impactful in ministry? Looking forward to your insight.
0: All right, Debbie, I loved this question. How do you sharpen your preaching gift? And uh, I just think communication is absolutely essential for a leader. I want to say one a preface to my answer today. And that's that I believe communication from leaders happens on many different levels. And preaching is one of those. But I think we communicate uh, more often than we realize as leaders. We, we communicate in meetings. We communicate in huddles. We communicate in short messages, long messages, preaching, teaching. So this answer goes for anyone that finds themselves teaching anywhere. Uh, We we could talk for a while on the subject of preaching and communication, but I'm going to give you one thought. You need to over-prepare for what you plan to deliver. You need to over-prepare for what you plan to deliver. In other words, you need to prepare about twice the material that you have time for or plan to deliver. Your preparation is your confidence, And you will be more confident, more at ease, more natural, more in the moment, and more focused when you have prepared well and prepared deep. I got that thought years ago out of one of my favorite books on um, public speaking. I believe the exact title is The Quick and Easy Way to Effective Speaking by Dale Carnegie. Dale Carnegie in his day, I know now he's best known for his book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. But in his day, he was actually more known for his public speaking courses. And uh, his stuff is legendary. And he talks so much about a communicator's preparation being tied to their confidence. So I would just start with that today, that you have to prepare and uh, prepare well. If you're going to sharpen your gift, I also encourage you just to get going to honor every single communication opportunity you have and to treat it as if it was a 30 minute preaching sermon. In other words, if you've been entrusted with doing an announcement at church, prepare for it with all of your heart like you would if you were preaching. And I believe that one day, if it be the will of God, I believe he'll, he'll take you and he'll use you in that way if you've proven yourself faithful with the small things. So I hope that helps, Debbie. I love your church. I love what you're doing. I keep running strong uh, for the kingdom. And for anyone else listening today, if you have a question, um, I would encourage you to head to the Leading Second Forum on Facebook, join our community and submit your question there. Uh, We would love to hear from you, DM or drop it in the news feed. And um, we'd love to get a recording of it and uh, tackle your question coming up on an episode. All right, today, I am thrilled and I am honored to get to share with you today a recent conversation uh, that I had with my friend, Torrin Wells. Torrin Wells, as many of you know, is a Grammy-nominated artist. He has has seen God really use him and bless him in a number of facets, uh, creatively and musically over the last couple of years. But I think my favorite thing about Torin is that he is a local church man, and, and he loves God's house, and I have seen that from him on and off the platform in big and in small moments. And so uh, I'm just thrilled to bring this conversation to you today. Creatives, listen in. Uh, he has some thoughts here that I believe we all need to hear. Let's Let's head to this interview. Hey everyone, I'm sitting down here with my friend today, Torin Wells. Uh, Torin, why don't you say hey, what's up to everybody? Hey, what's up everybody? So glad to be on Leading Second, man. Thanks for having me. Man, uh, I'm so glad you joined us for a few minutes today, and uh, I absolutely love uh, what's going on in your world and um, how God is using you. Uh, Where where are you at today while while we're talking?
1: I'm at home today, which is awesome. We're about to go out to the pool with the boys and, and just hang out. So feeling good.
0: And and that's probably got to be one of the best days, too, even in light of all, all that's going on. Oh,
1: oh, yeah, absolutely. I love, I treasure the, the time at home. I think sometimes uh, perhaps if you're just at home all the time, you can fall into the routine of just life. But when you have to step away every few days for a few days and come back, you really, you really treasure and value what you have. So I'm always happy to be home.
0: Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And um, for those that are listening that actually may not know you, um, you've had a big uh, year, 18 months or so in your world. Uh, where, where have you been? What have you been doing?
1: Oh, well, a lot of places, (laughs) doing a lot. Um, I put out an album called Hills and Valleys uh, two summers ago. Mm. And uh, one of my songs, Hills and Valleys, uh, was released to radio as a single and really took off and created some space for me Uh, to do some pretty cool things. So I've been on tour in the last 18 months with Lionel Richie and Mariah Carey and Chris Tomlin, Kim Walker Smith, Matt Maher, a bunch of people like that, um, playing shows. And then in between some of those things and during some of those tours, preaching and leading worship and being in services, conferences and events. Uh, so it's been a whirlwind of the last 2 years but uh, i really feel like we're just getting started and my family and i are really excited about this season and what's to come
0: it's so good man and um you know i just have to say that it, we, i've only really known you a couple years i remember having um breakfast or something with you you know 2 3 years ago and yeah, man. um i am I'm a huge fan a bit from afar but I am just so thankful for what God is is doing in your life and how he's using you and um and probably one of the biggest things I love about you too is that you have all of that going on but you are still a local church guy you know yeah and that you yeah. are you are you are um, actively involved in church and 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 keep, just keep seem to keep that you know, really important, really at the center. So maybe get us started with this question today. Why do you love the local church? Like what what do you love about it?
1: Well, for me in my journey, the local church has been critical and starting out just as a kid at nine years old is when I started going to church. It was the place that I found, uh, that I really found purpose It was the place where I was loved by kind leaders, um, where potential was spotted in me Mm. that was overlooked in other places. So I really feel like the local church cultivates um, people and their gifts and what they can bring to the world if it's done correctly and it's done well. And I am just absolutely a product of a really great local church. So I want that to be central to my life as an individual, but also for my family and my wife, my boys. Um, I think that it's just, it it can't be overlooked. And when I look at the the story of David, you know, he's appointed king, um, like anointed king, And then he goes back into the field. Hmm. But then once he starts growing and maturing, Saul wants him to come and play for him and play the harp for him and be there in the midst of all that's happening. But he still went back home. After playing in the palace, he still went back to Jesse's house. And uh, I think for me, I always want to have that same mentality no matter what rooms I get put in, what opportunities or stages I get to be on, I always want to have a heart for the house, and uh, and, and be there. Uh, so, yeah,
0: and that's I where you I'm know at. I f- feel like I saw you go simultaneously, yeah, you, know, you know, for during some of these tours, go simultaneously between um, a packed arena to a local church, regardless yeah. of size. And yeah. I just thought that was so cool. Like, like, what would you say to the person who has the big room in their mind, you know, has the stadium in their mind, which, which is awesome. But yeah, but what would you say to that person in, in terms of how you've navigated opportunities that have come your way big and small?
1: Yeah, well, I think that you know the Bible says a man's gift will make room for itself in the presence of kings. I, I think that's a powerful truth, and so many times we focus on the rooms that we want to give in, instead of the gift that we've been given.
0: Wow!
1: And I think it's important to remember that Jesus did not die for our gifts; He died for people. That's right. And so our gifts are really only keys that unlock the rooms that the people are in that he wants us to reach. That's right. So it's never about the gift. It's never about the talent. It's always about the people that those things are leading you to. And so for me, I wanna be where the people are. (laughs) Little mermaid yep. reference there. Um, I want to be, I want to be where the people are, man. I want to be where the need is, and I'm not going to look at it necessarily as the opportunity that's going to make the highlight reel for the the outside world looking on what I'm doing, because it's often. What we would view as the less significant moment, less significant moments that God actually values more than what the culture, even church culture, would say are the most important moments. That's right. So, so it's all about gifts taking you to people, and people being the the driver of what we do.
0: So well said. So well said. Um, how did you get your start in music? I mean, how did you how did you start playing? How did you realize that was a gift that was on your life?
1: My uh, choir director, uh, and when I was nine years old, I-, I went to church and I sang a little solo in Sunday school, and then they were like, "Wow, you could sing!" So they put me in the adult choir, and I was singing louder and higher than everyone, and. My choir director was like, Torn, this is a choir, so the point is to blend. So just kind of, but blending in was never, that was not my thing. Amazing. So, um, But yeah, so I started there, and then when I was 16, my youth pastor was like, hey man, you sing and you lead worship, you need to learn how to play an instrument so that you can lead our students. And uh, so then I started playing piano and uh, later guitar, and uh, yeah, that's why student pastors, pastors, to me, they're the real heroes. Um, what I do as an artist, I get to kind of come in and just, you know, throw ninja stars and sprinkle magic dust on everything. But the pastors and the volunteers are the real heroes that are pouring into people and and building futures.
0: Absolutely, very, very well said, and you know I have to ask it um how was the Grammys you know you were <laughs> you were you were nominated uh for a couple Grammys and yeah. um and i I was thrilled uh for you uh take us to the night like what was that like? that had to be a bit surreal yeah,
1: well, it was, and it was different to the first two times I went, both Grammys. Um, were in LA. These Grammys were in uh, New York City. Yep. So that was cool. And you know, we always there's only a certain number of tickets that you can get, but I always always somehow finagle a way to get tickets for my family. So I'll have my family there. You know, my mom was with me, my little sister, um, of course, my wife and uh it's just cool to kind of step into that world and to peek in on the other side if you will and uh have a cool night of recognizing creativity and art just in in its truest form so it's fun man uh it's a little overrated. I'll be honest, <laughs> but, yes. but just the whole experience and being with my team as a benchmark of just celebrating, you know, God's favor on what we're doing is, is really special.
0: That's awesome. So you've been blessed with some big moments in, in your life. Uh, you know, even recently, um, but we all know that the big moments are really built on the smaller moments. Mm. So, what are some habits that you feel like you developed early in ministry, early in your career that have paid off really well now, that yeah. you've hit a stride and you're you're running pretty fast and getting to walk into some some pretty great moments? Um, what 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 would you? say to someone who's getting started today, like what could they start doing today that would prepare them well for their future?
1: I think that the most important tool, if I could say it like that, is honestly, and (laughs) this is ironic that I'm saying this, but I'm going to give some context for it. I think humility is one of the greatest tools that we have Mm. For advancement, I think that humility will take you places ego could only dream of. I think that if ego is the thing that carries you to the top, it will not let you off there. It will keep you on the ride and it will not be satisfied until you slam into the bottom. Mm. Um, So learning how to erase ego as soon as possible And you don't have to have a ton of followers, a big platform um, or or massive influence to have an ego. I can I can tell you I'm raising three little beige boys over here (laughs) and they all have egos Mm. and they're five and two years old. And I think it's something that's just built into us. And something that I heard a lot when I was uh, 18, 19, 20 was Torn is so cocky. Mm. And, uh, you know, and I never, I never really saw myself as that, but Pride is so elusive you never see pride in your own life. Mm. You have to really be able to listen to other people. And if you're lucky, (laughs) you'll be able to hear some of the critiques that people have of you and you'll be able to learn from them. I think so often we immediately dismiss critique as hate because people are just hating on us. They're jealous of us, they're envy of us. Well, what if there is validity in some degree to the critiques that people have about you? Yep. I think that taking away the, the accuracy of someone's opinion of us just based on the fact, well, you don't really know me, um, I think can be the greatest hindrance to our growth. So having one ear to really hear what people are saying about you and being able to take it and filter it in the right way is important. So what I, what I have learned and what God has graced me to understand is number one, nothing that I have is just of my own doing. Everything that I have, every ability, every insight, every intuition, Every talent has been gifted to me by God. And I know we say that like God's given me gifts or whatever, but it's different when you really understand that and you live in that understanding because then you know that in a moment you can sabotage every good thing God has given you in a moment of pride. thinking that somehow I did this on my own. One of my favorite examples of this is King Nebuchadnezzar, when he stands at the top of his city and he looks out and views all that he's accomplished and the kingdom that he's built. And he says, for his own glory, Hmm. forgetting that it was God that graced him with a Daniel, So that he had the insight that he needed to build something for the glory of God. And uh, now one of the things that I hear often that people are saying to me, and I honestly thank God for it, is, man, you're just like cool, down to earth, humble, you know, and I don't feel like I've mastered it. But one of the things that I can tell you keeps you locked in is people. And, you know, I've been under my father-in-law's ministry for a long time, and people were his ultimate value. Mm. And so it's not rushing past the conversation because you don't feel like someone adds a particular value to your life. It's taking time and looking somebody in the eyes and hearing their story. It's being willing to pay for the meal that you know the person you're eating with probably has more means than you, and you would probably assume that they get the tab. It's Hmm. um, reaching out to people, sending a text message to people that aren't even in your sphere, because we all have people that we came up with or that we're connected to that at this point The only option we have would be to add value to them. They don't necessarily add value in a getting ahead in ministry or accelerating the pace of what I'm doing. Um, So taking those little moments, you know, I went and did a walkthrough at the Children's Hospital. Um, You know, no one knows those little things where. You're playing a song for a kid that's going through rehab. You know, just trying to find those moments that you don't get props for, that there is no shout out, that there is no check. Yeah. Um and and walking in that in that headspace.
0: That is um that is so well said, Torrin, and maybe I'd even take one more little trail on this. Um, yeah. As leaders of any size, I mean, as leaders, our our voice carries influence and carries weight. I mean, when you're a leader and you walk into a room, um, your the your presence matters. Yeah. Um. If you walk around too busy, it matters. If yep. you walk around with an ego, it matters. But it also matters when you walk around and show kindness to people and and you stop and ask somebody, how are you doing today? Yeah. Or one of my favorite things to do in the lobby at church is to ask people to, I, I'll say, uh, tell me your story. And yeah. number one, they'll tell you whatever's on their heart and their mind with that kind of an open-ended question. But number two, it positions me as a leader, as someone who genuinely wants to know what's going on in their world right now. Yes. And so... There's a lot of people that will walk in and out of a room but with the leader, when you're the leader and you walk into a room, you're an 800-pound gorilla in the room. And that well, matters. So how have you navigated the weight of influence and realizing that when you walk into a room now, more eyes may dart over to you and watch even the little things you do. I mean, how do you navigate the weight of influence and using it and stewarding it well, you know, for God's glory rather than for your own? just for me
1: my perception of ministry because i'm 32 and i've recently been able to be in some cool rooms with some influential leaders that god is using right now and i'm really grateful for that i'm always pinching myself um but i i'm also always taking someone with me and and not just to be there for accountability or anything like that, because more so because I want them to be discovered. I feel like I'm surrounded by some of the most talented people in the world that nobody really knows yet. So I'm always trying to, some people would say you've made it when you can get into the room. I feel like you've made it when you can get other people into the room. I feel like you've made it when you can create platform for others and opportunities for others. So that really drives, um, that's something that I want to be a part of just what I do and who I am. But when when I'm out on tour, uh, you would think that the most important thing that happens is on stage. There's 5,000 people in the room, 10,000 people in the room, 15,000 people in the room. Certainly, that's what God cares about the most. I would say that it's not. Mm. (laughs) I would say that God cares about the security guard that's standing at the dressing rooms, the people that are checking bags as I enter the venue. In the local church context, I would say it's the greeters that are standing at the front door. It's the person on your executive team that's walking through hell at home and all we're concerned about is uh getting our numbers for the week and making sure that our processes are being executed correctly i think god just values people more Mm. and so if i can and that's not easy i feel like i'm making it sound like it's easy and i'm always doing that but when you've got you know 10 interviews lined up and a meet and greet and um, you're still trying to stay connected at home and call your wife and she doesn't feel overlooked and neglected and did I get FaceTime with my boys and you know, you're balancing so many things, um, but trying to get that focus of what is the, the smallest way that I can express God's love and God's calling on my life before I ever step on a stage or hold a microphone. If I can keep that question at the forefront of my mind, I can stay proactive and and just loving people.
0: All right. We're going to land the plane with one final question here. Um, and that question would be this, um, what would you say, to someone who is believing God to do big things in their life and in their ministry, but doesn't seem to be seen as a reality. So the person that feels stuck in the middle in the waiting season, what would you say to that person?
1: Yeah. Uh, welcome to the club. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, we've all been there. That is just a part of the process, but, I really feel like it's a part of consecration, and that's a word we don't really preach a lot, we don't really teach a lot, uh, we don't really talk about a lot, but I think that it's the pathway that God uses to take us to the miraculous. And I back that up scripturally by the verse in Joshua that says that uh, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow I will do great works among you. Yes, That there is a self-consecration. I think that there is a God consecration where he calls you out and sets you apart for his purpose. But then I think there is also a self-consecration that we look at ourselves and we make certain boundaries and guardrails and decisions that would remind us that we are truly set apart by God for a purpose. And I think when God sees a consecrated heart, he knows he can use it. I know that God consecrates what he wants to use. I see it with David. There's a reason he was in the field while the brothers were in the house. There was a separation. There was a calling out. Um, I see it in Moses when he is out in a desert and life is moving on back at the palace and he's going through a season of consecration. Um, I see it in Jesus when he lives out the majority of his adult life in obscurity and then is ushered into a place where he is the most viral person of all time. Um, you know, God uses consecration to prepare people for what he's preparing for them and to minimize it or try to skip it is to lower the ceiling on what is possible for you to accomplish in your life. I feel like at an early age, I trusted God with the path of my life, Mm. but I feel like I am constantly reminded that I have to trust God with the pace of my life, that he sets and orders steps, events, relationships, and his timing is perfect. And I don't want anything. I have to train myself to not want anything that God doesn't want for me in that timing. And if I can get his desires in my heart, then I will trust him with the pace of my life.
0: Man, I love that. I love that. Very well said. Torrin, um, man, we love you. I'm so thankful for you. I'm thankful that you took the risks you took, that you stepped out, that you got creative. And um, I'm thankful God's hand is on you. And I just want you to know that, you know, Lindsay and I and Leading Second and Our World, man, we are, we are cheering you on. And just believe in God that, that what, what you've seen him do in your life up to this point is just, just the beginning and just a seed of what he's going to do, man. So we love you. And thank you
1: so much. Love you guys, too. Love what you're doing with Leading Second. It is so dope. It is so critical. I feel like there are so many people that miss the power and the impact that could come from their life because they want to skip lanes or jump seats. And creating a space where the second chair leader is valued and coached and seen is uh, so special. So thank you for your heart, for leading second and for how you pour into churches all over the world. I'm grateful for you, man.
0: Absolutely, man. Thanks so much. It's our honor. If this podcast has resonated with you, we would love to hear from you. Make sure you subscribe, uh, rate, leave us a comment, and make sure to share it with your team, share it with a friend, or share it with someone who may not yet know about it. And um, also invite them to join you on the Leading Second Forum on Facebook. Let's build our community and build our tribe. That that community is full of people just like you, just like me, who want to run strong for the kingdom, run healthy, run well. And we'd love to have you on that community. Until next time, I want you to know that we pray for you. I know that I don't know many of you listening, um, but we pray for you. We pray for your churches. Just believe that as we attempt to be healthy and lead strong, that God's hand is going to be on all of us. So let's run strong for the kingdom and let's lead in an uncommon way together.